And welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. I am Mark Unger, the pastor here at Celebration Church. Glad that you've joined with us uh, on Wednesday nights. We go through the Bible one verse at a time. Uh, it's it's uh, uh, more of an extended study, keeping the Bible in context. And we are in the book of Genesis. Um, the reason I'm uh, taping this ahead of time, although you and uh, the other campus, you always see it by video anyway, but guys here don't, uh, is that uh, I'm in Puerto Rico right now with my wife Debbie, suffering for the Lord, yes, but uh, uh, we are speaking for Burger King, check it out, the Burger King franchises are having a uh, franchisee meeting in Puerto Rico, these are actually people from the states, it's not a Puerto Rican audience, but they're, they're meeting uh, in Puerto Rico for their big conference. And uh, somebody up in their food chain, food chain literally I guess, but uh, um, saw one of my clips on YouTube, thought it was pretty interesting, checked into us, and then they called and asked if I would come and speak to their entire group at this conference. So that's where I'm at right now, and going to be speaking there uh, tomorrow night as is uh, to them about relationships and stuff. So we're kind of a paid vacation, kind of a fun time, we're excited about that. Uh, but anyway... Um, we are in Genesis. We're in Genesis, the 40th chapter, and um, we've just read about Joseph, how he worked for, uh, he had been sold into slavery by his brothers, then he got uh, sold to a guy named Potiphar, an Egyptian, and was working for him, and was doing real well, and was being favored highly by, by, the, uh, by Potiphar, his, his uh, slave master. But then Mrs. Potiphar got the hots for him, kept hitting up on him, trying to have him, get him to have sex with her. He kept refusing her, and at some point she got so dissed and so mad that she claimed that he had raped her, or tried to rape her, actually. And, um, of course, Potiphar, I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to side with your wife in a situation like that, even though she was the rat. He didn't know that. And immediately threw Joseph into prison. Uh, but, and that's where we're going to pick it up But when, when, we, when we pick it up at chapter 40. But I want to back up a little bit. And I want to touch base just on the story that we read just before it in chapter 38. This is where we read about Judah and his sons. And he, his oldest son, Ur, had a wife. But then God uh, judged Ur. I don't, he's, he was doing something outrighteous, the Bible says. Something wicked is the word is used in this translation. And God judged him and killed him. And uh, left Tamar, his wife, with no children. And the rule was in that culture that if that happens, then you need to have... Uh, the next brother in line needs to actually have sex with the widow in hopes that she can have a son, a child, for the brother in his name uh, that has, has been gone. Well, um, the next brother's name was Onan, had no problem having sex with her, but was practicing uh, his own form of birth control, uh, uh, spilling his seed, the Bible says, and God got really ticked at him and killed him. And um, and then the uh, now we talked about how this is the scripture that for for really hundreds and hundreds of years centuries um, the church was against any kind of birth control in any way shape or form and they would refer back to this scripture as the sin of Onan. Now today we view the sin of Onan not so much that it was birth control but it was just that he wasn't fulfilling his obligation uh, in obeying his father and his obligation to his brother. And, uh, and, and it specifically says that Onan didn't want to do it because he knew the kid wouldn't be his. So that's how we view it. So we're not against birth control. Having said that, 
we certainly believe in uh, large families here. Uh, my personal belief is that our young people are not marrying early enough and they're not having large enough families. We are on the verge of being the first generation in the history of Christianity that will start breeding itself out of existence because we are so selfish. And we don't either don't want to have children or barely have enough children uh, to uh, really propagate the faith even. I mean, it's, we're below the replacement rate. And uh, most of us, you know, we live in a culture, I was, this, I was raised this way, most of us were raised this way. Only have two kids, only have two kids, the world's too populated. Well, number one, that's not true. But uh, secondly, even if it is true, we need to keep a strong Christian uh, culture. And if people just have two, it actually puts you below the birth rate because not everybody can have two. A lot of people can't have one. And then a lot of people don't get married at all or have any children. And so then you start dropping below the birth rate. That's why those who can should uh, be blessed. And the Bible says children are a blessing of the Lord. So we, we encourage that. But we are not against, per se, birth control because of the scripture. But anyway, so we, we read how the next brother was supposed to then have sex with her so she could have a child. That's what she wanted. That's, that was the culture. It wasn't about love or anything. It was just, hey, I need a baby. Okay? And without it, they had no value and, and, and no ch- ch- uh, children to help support them in their old age. They didn't have social security. They didn't have safety nets. It was a big deal. You needed children or you were going to be in the worst of conditions. So the next brother, apparently he was too young yet, so we, I don't know how old he was. He could have been a young teenager or I don't know, whatever. But anyway, when he got old enough, um, uh, the father, Judah, didn't keep the promise and never gave her to him. So she was left still with no children. Then she tricked him, pretended that she was a prostitute. You remember the story? And got him, to, got Judah to have sex with her and she got pregnant that way. Judah didn't know it until later when it was discovered that she was pregnant, he was going to stone her to death until she showed him, hey, look, this is your child. I'm the woman that you had sex with, thinking it was a prostitute. Well, then Judah was busted. And then it talks about these twin boys that he had. And, you know, whenever you're reading a Genesis and they mention these little stories, sometimes little just bizarre little things, you find out why later, why they talked about that. And I've been pretty good about revealing all of that to you as we've, as we've gone along. When I came to this story, much past other than the whole debate about the sin of Onan that I just talked to you about, I'm thinking, why does the Bible tell us this big story about her tricking the father-in-law into having sex and having the twin boys? And, and, and I looked all the way through Genesis and I was doing all, everything I can to try and stimulate my brain, thinking, why is this story here? Because there's no later reason that it shows up. And it seems to have no value. I'm just thinking it's kind of bizarre, and I kind of alluded to that last Wednesday. Well, um, uh, as it turned out, um, uh, Ida Bauman, God bless Ida. Uh, those of you in point don't know her, but she's a wonderful person. And Ida knows her Bible. Don't mess with Ida, man. She knows the Bible. And right after the Bible study, she comes up to me. She says, I know why that story's there. And I said, why is it? I've been trying to fight it. And she showed it to me. God bless her. This is, an, if you look at Matthew, the uh, very first chapter, where it does the genealogy of the Messiah. Okay? We read in chapter 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah then becomes the father of Perez and Zerah. Those were the twins whose mother was Tamar, Tamar, however you say it. And then Perez 
one of those boys was the father of Hezron and goes down and then eventually you got King David and eventually you get Jesus the Messiah. So the reason this is there is because this was the line of David. This is That's why it takes the time to explain this little bizarre story of, obviously it's pretty twisted how it all happened in the first place, but uh, the fact that this child, this one of these uh, twin boys, Perez, is part of the lineage of David, which is actually the lineage of the Messiah, which that's why it's all there. So God bless Ida. Give her a slap on the back when you see her and for pointing that out. Another neat thing about that story actually is... Uh, Stop and think about that. This is a very bizarre, dysfunctional thing that happens here. I mean, it's just weird. This daughter-in-law has got to trick the father-in-law into getting her pregnant. I mean, it's and all under deception and he wasn't being uh, keeping his word to her. And what a mess. You talk about dysfunctional, wacko stuff. Now she's got these two boys. Uh, but it's amazing. You would think, wouldn't you, that... If you're God and the line of the Messiah is going to come, that you would have picked someone from a line where there wasn't dysfunction or some weirdness or ickiness. But yet God chooses this boy who came from this weird situation. We read later another very bizarre situation where Bathsheba becomes the mother of Solomon. Bathsheba was only the mother of Solomon because David uh, committed uh, adultery with her and had her husband murdered. You talk about dysfunction there. And even still, in the lineage of, of the Messiah, you have some deeply flawed people and sinful situations. And you talk about not ideal. But yet God uses this to bless the world. Stop and think about that. And the reason I want you to think about that because I know some of you have struggled in your life. And you either have uh, uh, been through some real icky situations or you're going through right now some very discouraging circumstances and it's easy to think you know my life is messed up God can't use me I'm a second class citizen yeah Jesus loves me he has to he has no other choice you know that kind of mentality and we feel bad and sometimes we feel hopeless and we think because of uh, the dysfunctional situation we're in or maybe our own sin that created the disaster that we're in that as a result somehow we miss out on God's blessings. I just want you to know from, from looking at this story and thinking about Bathsheba's story that the beauty of this is that God can take your worst circumstance, your most unideal situation. I mean, there's nothing good about these two uh, stories uh, in, in the lineage of Christ, uh, to say the least. But God can still take your most horrible, biggest, dysfunctional, failure, whacked out family, whatever your story is. And turn it into something so beautiful that it won't make sense to anybody. Stop and think about that. How incredible that. I mean, you could make the argument, had this dysfunctional thing not happened, King David would have never been born. Jesus would have never been born. I mean, it was the line. You pull that out, the line stops, right? I'm sure God would have found another way, but... Still, it's a very fascinating situation. So just just take heart tonight. I don't know uh, what situation you might be facing. Uh, maybe you're, you're later in life and you're thinking, gee, I, you know, I, I didn't even come to Jesus in my life till I was in my 50s or 60s and it's too late for me. You know, it's never too late. God can still use you. Even if you've made big mistakes. Even if you've had real dysfunctional, messed up situation in your life that you think, boy, this is so complicated. God's plan for me. I can't be used by God. No. 
There's not one complicated mess that you can uh, stump God on. You know, God can solve a Rubik's Cube. Come on, you remember those cube things that you take and you had to twist and turn? And some people got, I never could get those stupid things. I mean, I don't even know what motivated anybody to sit there for hours on end twisting the stupid cube around. Some people got real good to it, man. In a matter of seconds, they just straighten the whole thing out. But there's not a cube that is so garbled that you can garble that stumps God. Where God goes, oh, well, if I, well, if he hadn't done that or if she hadn't made that decision, I... Ah, I, I guess I can't fix it. I promise you, there is no cube, there's no puzzle, there's no messed up situation that you've created that God looks at and goes, ah, you stumped me. I promise you, God can unscrabble your puzzle. No matter how messed up it is, no matter how twisted and out of place it gets, there is no puzzle too complicated for him. So don't, Get discouraged. You say, well, pastor, does it not matter then? Well, of course it matters. You don't want to make it harder than it needs to be. And, and those of you who've gotten the old puzzles all messed up in your life, you know it's painful and it's, it's discouraging. But I'm just telling you, there's nothing too complicated for God. There's no puzzle that you can come up with. No con- you know, series of events that you've done or failed in that is going to tie God's hands and now you're doomed for the rest of your life. And that your life will not have any meaning. Don't think that way. God has the wonderful ability to straighten out any mess you or I can create. Again, I'm not encouraging you you to make the mess. I mean, man, how many know you'd rather not have a mess to get unscrambled in the first place? But you God is the only one who can unscramble an egg. It's just the way it is. Thank God for it. That's how wonderful he is. And how creative and how brilliant he is. So take heart. You know, even, even in some of the weirdest situations, God can turn it around and make it into something incredibly beautiful. This messed up situation as a result of these dysfunctional boys who really now grow up without really having a normal dad or anything. Because of these boys existing, particularly the one, God blessed the entire world. You and I are here tonight. Because this line was complete and God sent the Messiah into the world. And Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. So that we could have salvation and hope. Pretty wild. Alright, now, continuing back in our story. Back to chapter 40. You talk about not wanting to have hope. Here, David, or not David, uh... Uh, Joseph is doing great things look like things are finally turning around God was blessing him finally his brothers meant this for evil but now God is blessing him and then Potiphar's wife goes wacko and chasing him down and you know now he gets blamed for something he didn't do and now he's in prison worse off than he was when he was just a slave I mean being a slave I mean that bites you know that's no fun but now you're in prison this is much worse than just being a slave. So here he goes and he winds up in prison. But now even in prison, after a while, and we don't know the time frame here. I mean, we're about to see that at one point, a couple of years passed by. So this wasn't like overnight. You know, I, I challenged you last week when, you, when, you, when you're reading these stories, a lot of times we forget. We just see trouble, God shows up. Trouble, God shows up. Trouble, God shows up. And we think, how come I, I'm in trouble? How come God doesn't show up right away? 
Well, I know it reads that way, but hey, sometimes there were years that went ticking by here before God shows up. We don't see the time frame. Uh, I'm not trying to discourage you and say that it'll take years for God to turn your situation around. I'm just telling you, if it does, then so what? I would rather wait years for God to turn my situation around than to get frustrated and give up on God because it didn't happen fast enough. Because I promise you, I cannot unscramble the Rubik's Cube of my life. So my hope and trust is in God. So anyway, he's in prison for a while, and then God starts blessing him. And uh, there's something about Joseph. There's some, he has some favor about him. And, some, and everybody likes him, and whatever he does, he succeeds at. And now he starts rising to the top of the prison. Well, again, it's still prison. The guy's still in a dungeon. His life still is miserable. The fact that you're at the top of the misery scales, great, but you're still on a misery scale, and, uh, and, and he's in an icky situation. So, God starts blessing him there, but he's still stuck in prison. And then it says in chapter 40, this is where we pick it up. Sometime later, some, I don't know what time later, but sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Now, we don't know what they did. I don't know what a cupbearer and a baker would do to hack off the king. But this, he was one mad king. So he takes him and both throws him into prison. So it says Pharaoh was angry with his two officials. The chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. In the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph. And he attended them. Again, here's Joseph. He's at the top of the lousy situation. So he's in charge of the other prisoners. And uh, he looked after them. It says, after they had been in custody for some time, again, we don't know the time frame, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to meet them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were in custody with him in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? And they answered, we both had dreams. Now, you have to understand, everybody dreams. And we all have dreams. And some of them, you know, they're just bizarre dreams. They often tend to be very strange and odd. And I have all kinds of bizarre dreams. Aliens from outer space. I mean, just all kinds of stuff that has nothing to do with anything. But then there are spiritual dreams. And I have. I don't know if you've ever had a dream like that. The Bible talks about... How people of faith would experience dreams and have visions and that sort of thing. Uh, your old men would dream dreams. <laughs> I guess I'm a geezer. But uh, actually I had them when I was younger. But uh, uh, I know what it's like to be sleeping and to have a dream where God shows up in your dream. And all I can tell you is it's like no other dream you would ever experience. I mean, there is something about it. These guys, these were not believers, these weren't Christians, but these were two guys who had a dream from God, and they woke up the next day, they could remember it in vivid detail, and they knew there was something different about it. And I'll tell you, if, you've never had, if you ever have a dream, when you're sleeping, where God speaks to you, you will know. You don't have to wake up thinking, gee, I wonder if that was from God. It's like, holy cow, wow. Now, you may not always understand what the dream means, but you can tell something significant happens. And that's what happened with these guys. And they, they just went, wow. He said, we both had dreams, but there's no one here to interpret them. In other words, we don't, we don't know what it means. We know these were significant dreams. Something happened here. Uh, God is trying to tell us something, but we don't know what it means. Well, then Joseph said to them, 
do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. What he's basically insinuating here is that God blesses me. I'm not God, but I have fellowship with God and I walk with God. God controls my life and blesses my life. God God is the one who fixes all this stuff. He's the one who understands everything. Tell me your dreams. Maybe God will give me the interpretation to what these dreams mean. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream I saw a vine in front of me. And on the vine were three branches. Now as soon as it budded, it blossomed and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. And I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and put the cup in his hand. And then Joseph says to him, right away, God reveals to Joseph what the dream meant. Now, I don't know if this was the first time Joseph had ever uh, went down this path. We do know that God had given Joseph dreams. God, Joseph knew what it was to have dreams. Is what got him in trouble with his brothers. Other than the fact he's probably a little obnoxious anyway, being the favorite brother and going around, la, 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 look at my fancy coat. But then he'd have these dreams. He knew what it was to have a dream from God. He would tell, man, I had this dream where, you know, uh, you know, everybody bows down to me and, and comes to me and, 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 and reverences me. And of course, they got all mad at him because uh, the, 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 the meaning of his dreams were so clear. Even the brothers knew what he was saying and they were insulted by it. So Joseph knew what it was, but um, uh, somehow Joseph had the confidence. Tell me your dreams. See if God will show it to me. And he does. Right away, God, God reveals to him what it means. And Joseph says this. This is what it means. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all this goes well with you, he says to him, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews as a slave. And even here, I have done nothing. Remember, he, he did the right thing. He ran from having sex with his master's wife out of respect for his master. He did nothing deserving this. And now here he is suffering in prison. He says, I've, I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. That's his life. Okay? And again, this isn't county lockup here. This isn't, you know, Sing Sing or even, you know, some prisons today. I mean, this, this is... Uh, 6,000, whatever the time frame is, years ago, I'm sure the prison was most brutal, filthy, and disgusting. And this is where the poor guy is staying. Well, when the chief baker saw that Joseph had given him a favorable interpretation, then he comes to Joseph and says, well, I too had a dream. And then he starts telling Joseph his dream. He says, "Uh, on my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. And then right away, God makes clear to Joseph what it means. And Joseph says this, this is what it means. The three baskets are three days. Just like the other guy had three days. Apparently this whole thing's coming down in three days. Three days, the cupbearer is going to get back into his position. Three days later, it's going to be different for this guy. He says, within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat away at your flesh. Oh, man. This is not exactly good news that you want to hear, all right? So, now, the third day was Pharaoh's birthday. And he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the 
chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. So he brings these guys in in front of everybody. Lift your head up, take a look. And then he restores the chief cupbearer to his position, just like Joseph had prophesied or interpreted. And so he was once again put uh, the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But the other guy, he hangs the other guy. Obviously he takes off his head first and then hangs his body in the trees. And just as Joseph had told him in his interpretation. But the bummer of the deal was the next verse. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. And he forgot him. So remember the deal was, look, once this comes to pass and you will see that I gave you the right interpretation. Remember me. Talk to Pharaoh about me. Get me out of this hell hole that I'm in. Well, look at the next verse in chapter 41. When two full years had passed. So now it's an additional, at least we know two years. Again, we don't know what the time frame for a lot of these stuff, but it wasn't overnight. It wasn't automatic. You know, you read one, two, three, four, five, six words here. And then you just start reading the, the great story again. And it's easy to forget that oftentimes in the Bible, these guys struggled in horrible conditions. But they would experience God's blessings. They would experience the, uh, the, the answers and the miracles because they would stay faithful and they would hang in there and they would trust God and continue to walk in faith even when all their circumstances pointed that there was no hope for them. I could imagine him waiting for days hoping to hear back from the cupbearer. Days turns into weeks, months, a couple of months and after a month and the next month. And, but now, 12 months goes. Now, 18 months go by. Now 24 months go by. It's been two years and you're still languishing in the dungeon. Talk about an opportunity to doubt God. Talk about an opportunity to point at heaven and say, God, why are you letting this happen to me? Where were you? I trusted you and you let me down, which so many of us are so quick to do. But David or, or uh, Joseph did not do that. He stayed faithful, trusting God, even in the midst of his sufferings, which is a big key. You know, the Bible talks about one of the fruits of the Spirit is long-suffering, which literally means suffering for a long time. That's a grace of God. God will give you the grace to suffer for a long time. Now, i got to tell you, of all the graces that God can give, love, joy, peace, kindness, I'd take any of those. I'm not a big fan of the long-suffering one. Because nobody wants to suffer for a long time. But even if you're being tested in your life, and and it seems to be dragging on and on and on, and, and you feel like God has left you, just remember, he promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In your darkest moments, quote those words. Say them out loud to yourself. Say them out loud to God. Lord, I am miserable. This is seeming to take forever. It feels like I have no control. It feels like the world is against me. But I thank you that you've promised you will never leave me nor forsake me. Even if I have Rubik's cubed this thing into just a horrible puzzle. God, you said you would never leave me nor forsake me. It doesn't matter what other people do do to me. And it doesn't matter what I have done even to myself. I am trusting you, God, to pull me through. And, And this is one of the lessons that we want to really emphasize here as we're looking at the life of Joseph. So, let's continue. Now, after the two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. Ah, back to the dreams, are we? And in his dream, he was standing by the Nile River and 
When out of the river came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came out, ugly and gaunt, bunch of skinny cows, came out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. So now you got 14 cows. You got seven fat cows. You got seven skinny cows that come climbing out of the river. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek fat cows. Now this is a very bizarre dream. All right, you got great seven fat cows. You got seven ugly skinny cows. Well, then the seven ugly cows eat the fat cows and swallow them up. Very strange. You know, cows are not exactly into eating other cows. They're vegetarians. But what a bizarre dream, as dreams tend to be. And the Bible says, then Pharaoh woke up. Whoa. Now, I'm sure this is not the first time Pharaoh's ever had a dream. Indeed, we all have dreams and remember bizarre, strange things. But when it's a dream from God, when it's a spiritual dream, when God's trying to speak to you through dreams, there's something about it that that goes, wow. It's a different experience. Well, then it says he fell asleep again and had a second dream. As creepy as the first one was, he falls asleep, going into another one. Now, seven heads of grain... Healthy and good were growing on a single stalk. Well, after them, seven other heads of grain sprouted thin and scorched by the east wind. And same kind of deal. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy, full heads. Very, again, bizarre dream. Now we got grains eating each other. And then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. So twice in a row. Well, in the morning, his mind was troubled. Again, not just because they were weird dreams. I mean, you could eat pizza too late at night and have bizarre dreams like this but when it's a spiritual dream there's something unique about it and he knew something was different about these dreams and he remembered them in in vivid detail this and and other details so um, in the morning he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt these were the guys uh, we're not talking you know watch me saw the lady in half pick a card when they say magicians they're talking guys who were into the black arts these were people basically sorcerers and into you know spiritisms you know and they would use you know all kinds of different ways of trying to divine the future uh you know like super tarot card kind of guys i mean these were guys who were, uh, you know, just into spiritual things, but the dark side of the spiritual. They weren't spiritual guys in terms of godliness, but of, of, of evil spirits. The kind of thing God tells you not to do, which, by the way, you should not be going to tarot card readers and reading horoscopes and all these other kinds, trying to find your purpose in life. You want your purpose in life? Read the book. You'll get, God will speak to you. You don't need to be just going to these bizarre things. Well, this is Egypt. This isn't a Christian place. This, these aren't Christian people. Uh, they're basically pagans. And uh, they have guys who are into all these dark arts that try and give them some sense of direction and, and meaning and, and, and being able to see the future. So he calls for all these guys, these magicians and the wise men of Egypt. And Pharaoh told him his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Well, then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Oh, yeah. I remember being in this situation, having a dream that I couldn't, that I was haunted by, didn't know what it meant, and that kid in jail gave me the interpretation. So he says to Pharaoh, says, today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. 
Uh, yeah, shortcomings, you rat. You left Joseph sitting in there for two more years. You were supposed to say something. Well, he said, well, Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now, there was this young Hebrew guy there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was hanged. This guy let us know this was going to happen before it happened by interpreting our dreams for us. So uh, Pharaoh sent for Joseph. I mean, everybody's stumped. He's got all the, all the you know, wisest guys in the country doing anything. All these guys with the black arts. Ooh, they, they couldn't figure out what these dreams meant. He was frustrated. He was haunted by the dreams. So he sends for this guy, Joseph. And Joseph was quickly brought from the dungeon. Hallelujah, finally out of the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, because I'm sure he was very scuzzy. From, again, this was not a nice place. So they had to clean him up before he could get uh, before the Pharaoh. So they clean him up and then he comes before the Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said that, you, that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Well, he says, I cannot do it. Pharaoh replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So he's a humble guy. He's turning, you know, this isn't about me. I can't do these things, but God can do these things. And God is the one who gives us the ability to do what we do. So here's a guy, even when he should be as bitter as you could possibly imagine, he does not stay bitter. He's constantly still thanking God, praising God, giving attention and glory to God. So then Pharaoh goes into it with Joseph. He says, in my dream, I was standing on the back of the Nile. When out of the river, there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven scrawny cows came out very ugly, very lean. I'd never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. They're all ugly to me, but apparently these must have been really ugly cows. And I'd never seen such ugly cows, and in, in, in that's what I saw in my dream. Well, then the lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate him, no one could tell that they had done so, for they looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. In my dreams, I also saw seven heads of grain, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads sprouted, withered and thin, and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told this to the magicians, but no one could explain it to me. Then Joseph says to Pharaoh, immediately God reveals to him the meaning of the dreams. He says, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. And the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream, Pharaoh. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterwards are seven years as well. And so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. This is just as I said to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. But right behind it, seven years of famine will follow them. That was the purpose of the dream. To warn Pharaoh about what was going to happen. Not just to help Pharaoh, but uh, there would have been incredible loss of life as a result of this. And God in his mercies and grace were letting them know to prepare. And God was using this very set of circumstances 
to eventually bring Joseph's brothers to Egypt where they bowed before Joseph just as he had seen in his dreams as a young man and they hated him for it. It's all starting to come together. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten. The famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh look for a distinct, discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. This is still Joseph talking to him. What you need to do is find some guy who's really sharp to put in charge of all the land and let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. So, um, so they're taking a fifth of everything and, and saving it. They, they should collect all the foods of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. Well, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials, even all the magicians and wise men going, it sounds good to us. So Pharaoh asked them, well, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom has the spirit of God? Right away, Joseph says, you need to find someone who can really do this. And Pharaoh says, man, Who's like this kid? He's a young guy. I don't believe he's quite 30 yet. Or he's about to be 30, whatever the deal is. He's a young guy. And then Pharaoh says to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace. And all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne... Will I be greater than you? Now, check this out. So Pharaoh says to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. It was a sign of power and authority. And he dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He's got some bling happening. And then he had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. Remember, there is no one greater in the land of Egypt now than this kid who just got pulled out of a dungeon. You talk about God turning your life around. It may take years. You do not know the amount of time between the vision and the fulfillment of the dream. If anything, as I spoke to you last week, don't be in a hurry with the vision God has put in your heart. In my life, it was 30 years from the time God put the picture of my heart of being a pastor to where it finally became a reality in my life. That's a long time, man. A lot of times, most people who have, God speaks to them, God's prophesied, I'm going to be a this, I'm going to be a preacher, I'm going to be a pastor, I'm going to be an evangelist, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this great thing. Or a lot of times, people get discouraged because they're expecting, well, okay, God, let's do it. And it doesn't happen right away. Just slow down. Chill out and don't force it. Don't be like Moses. Moses forced it, remember? Moses knew God put something in his heart about delivering the children of Israel from his captors and he turns around and he sees this Egyptian beating up on one of his fellow brothers and he fights and he kills the Egyptian thinking everybody's going to love me now. Well, they didn't love him. They turned on him. He just rescued their turning on. What are you going to kill us too? 
And he knew he was going to be in trouble. He had to run for his life. Forty years. Forty years. He sat on the backside of the desert. Taking care of camels and goats and whatever the heck there is in a desert. I don't know about you, but 40 years is a long time. He has this vision, this dream, this something in his heart that says deliver the people. And now he's on the backside of the desert for 40 miserable years. Why? Because he pushed it too soon. Finally, God comes to him 40 years later and says, hey, I want you to go back to Egypt. Tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And then we see the incredible story of Moses. Don't be in a hurry. It might take a while, but I'll tell you what. When God is ready to move on your behalf, hold on to your britches. Because he can turn around a situation just like that. Here he is in the dungeon. It would have been easy for him to believe God was never going to get him out of that rat hole. He could have been angry, bitter, just down, dejected, downhearted. Finally, he gets the call. He shows up. They got to clean him up. He stinks. The guy reeks. He's been in. They got to shave him. Who knows what he'll probably look like? Some kind of creature from the pit. And within the time it took him to look at Pharaoh and say, this is what the dreams mean. Which just took us 10, 15 minutes to read here. Boom! He goes from a dungeon to being the most powerful man in the world. Only second to Pharaoh himself. Oh man, I'm telling you. All of a sudden, he's wearing robes. He's got bling happening. He's just got his own private Cadillac with a driver. Chariot. I love this. He says he had him ride in a chariot as a second in command. And then he had guys. Their job was just to run in front of the chariot. Shouting, make way! <laughs> That's pretty cool. So, you know, he had his sirens. Because they didn't have sirens back there. They had the guys running going, make way, make way! Just so that as he's being pulled along in the chariot, there'd be no one in the way to impede his progress. Thus, the Bible says, Pharaoh put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. Holy stinking cow! I mean, man, when God is ready to turn your situation around, though it may be delayed, maybe it takes hours, maybe it takes weeks, maybe it takes months, maybe it takes years, maybe it takes decades, do not give up. Keep quoting to yourself, reminding yourself of Jesus' words, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Nothing can ever pull you out of my hand. Paul said, I'm convinced neither death nor life nor height nor whatever, angels, principalities, demons, there's nothing that can ever separate me from him. Why was that important to Paul? Because there were times where it felt like he was separated. Where everything went wrong, where... Instead of being blessed, he was cursed. Instead of being comforted, he was beaten. Instead of being free, he was imprisoned and humiliated. But through it all, he knew there was nothing. There is nothing. Bring it on, devil! There's nothing you can do to me that will ever separate me from him. 
And when it comes time for God to turn your situation around, I'm telling you, in a nanosecond, in a day, in a matter of hours, God can turn your situation around, though you might be in the dungeon and the pit of hell, the dungeon of despair. When God's ready to move on your behalf, you stay faithful, you stay consistent, you stay trusting in him. He can turn your situation around like that and you can go from the very bottom to the top. Joseph did not work his way up. He did with Potiphar. He kind of got, and wow, kind of a good kid. And eventually he got to the top. He did with the prison guard. He kept working his way up the food chain there in the prison until he became the top rat in in that sewer but when it comes to this he doesn't even work his way up he goes instantly from the bottom to boom the most powerful man in the known world just like that oh man take heart man take heart don't be discouraged don't be discouraged because you've got the cue ball messed up. Don't be discouraged because the answer doesn't happen right. Don't be discouraged because you're suffering and you're being drugged through a sewer and you don't understand why. Hang in there. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He hasn't forgotten about you. He has tattooed you to his hand. You're sitting right there. I mean, God looks at his hands. He sees you and is reminded of you. Be faithful. God absolutely loves you. Now when we come back next week, we will pick up the story and we will see now what God does with Joseph. Now that he's finally in this incredible position. The dream he had years before start to come to pass. And we'll see how the children of Israel, the 12 sons, How these children of Israel wind up in Egypt. How they eventually become slaves for 400 years. And then Moses comes along and pulls them all out. Alright, God bless you guys. We'll see you again next week. Good word tonight, amen? I love the word of God. And it never returns void. God fulfills his promises not only to us, but to uh, his purposes through us as well. We want to ask our ushers to come tonight. We're going to receive our uh, tithes and offerings. Uh, many people, this is their service, and they get a chance to give in this service. We want to also remind you, if, you're, if you received, uh, Pastor Mark challenged us on um, Sunday around uh, campus development for this year. And if you received your card, um, be sure and pray over that as to what God would have you do and uh, to be a part of what's happening here at Celebration Church. If you didn't receive one of these cards, you want more information, stop by the information counter and someone will be glad to help you. Let's pray tonight, shall we? Father, thanks so much for your word. And we are challenged and encouraged uh, because you are the God who reigns. You're the God who makes your purposes not only known, but you fulfill those purposes. So we're delighted to partner with you and, and to experience all that you want to do through us and as we, as we bind together for the kingdom of God. God, just bless the finances of every person in this place that we might be vessels through which you can move and meet every need. We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. God bless you.